and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. And that's right, everybody. Welcome back once again to another edition of the Best Seat in the House podcast. As always, I'm your host, Rob Kramer, joined by my co-host, Daniel Bobo Curlin. And Dan, how you doing today, buddy? Oh, a lot better than last week, I can tell you that. I'm not, I no longer have to use an NPR voice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You, you're feeling better today. You know, we're coming off a Mets win last night, so it's got to be, you know, it, it feels like things might be starting to turn around a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I have to say, last week was an eventful week. I mean, the, the whole weekend I wasn't feeling well. Even Sunday when maybe the worst of it was gone, I was so that I was like that. Like, I cannot explain how, how I felt on Sunday. Like, I felt that, but my voice was kind of sounding normal, but. But for one thing, Friday you had the Apple TV broadcast. Lots of lag. <laughs> I'm sure you yeah. noticed on your end with the Apple TV broadcast, there's a lot of lag. Yeah, definitely a lot of lag on the uh, Friday Apple TV, which uh, you know usually that that uh, Apple TV hasn't worked out too good for the Mets ever since they've been uh, on there. But you know uh, that was a. Um, I guess this is a necessary evil that we have to get used to because uh, this this Apple TV crap isn't going anywhere, unfortunately. But um, yeah, Dan, I mean, we got a lot to get into today. They, not to mention the uh, the press conference that the owner of the Mets, Steve Cohen, held this afternoon that we're going to cover. Uh, the Yankees dropping a tough one out in Oakland last night. Um, a bunch of weird stuff going on with the Jets, uh, and uh, and obviously the the NHL draft tonight. And uh, the uh, schedule was released yesterday, too. So a bunch to get into. But, Dan, let's kick it off with our Mets uh, beating the Brewers last night at City Field 7-2. to Finally, uh, you know, a, a good crisp game, as the owner referred to it just a, a short time ago. Uh, they still sit at 36, uh, at 36 and 43, unfortunately. 16 and a half out of the NL East. Uh, eight and a half out of the final playoff spot. So, um, you know, coming off that that um, game last night, Dan, a really good game pitched by uh, David Peterson, who had been in the minor leagues after getting shelled to a one and six start. Uh, what are your thoughts coming out of that game last night? Uh, you, you know, did you, did you see signs that maybe we are getting to the point where this team finally kicks into gear? Well, well, for one thing, I thought that. Uh... David Peterson was, was good last night from what I saw the highlights of it. I was stuck in an unfortunate situation on Tuesday. I had a side job, a temporary job that I couldn't get out of. Despite the fact I had had a I could have had a ticket to that game. And I well, it was just lost out on it that ticket to that game because, because of this job that I couldn't get out of. And it cost me having to buy that bobblehead on eBay that they were giving out yesterday. Oh, yeah. Which bobblehead was that again? Mr. Met as Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. That That's a pretty cool bobblehead. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so at least I got the bobblehead. I kind of wish I could have been at the game, maybe got a picture of Mr. Met wearing that Indiana Jones outfit because I saw some photos <laughs> from people who were at the game. And Mr. Met was dressed like Indiana Jones. Like, I have to say, I got to give the Mets credit for some of the games that they come up when they've done some of these bobbleheads. Sometimes Mr. Met will wear some silly outfit. Like, I remember when uh, in the Star Wars one, Mr. Met was wearing like a Han Solo vest. Remember when they gave that mm-hmm. to Mr. Met as Han Solo bobblehead? I remember oh, a couple yeah. of years ago, the game of, I remember a couple of years ago, the Game of Thrones night, Mr. and Mrs. Met were dressed were dressed as uh, Jon Snow and uh, Daenerys Targaryen. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I, I also I, remember I, a couple I, of years I, ago. Yeah, what were you gonna say? And then and then this one, of course, they had this one unfortunately I didn't get a picture with Mr. Red, but he was just as Indiana Jones, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I was gonna say I also remember a couple of years ago, uh they did the uh Mr. Met on the moon when they it was the fiftieth anniversary of the uh landing on the uh, moon i remember that i think that was 2019 they did that and uh that, I, I that was actually, pretty cool. I, I actually had that bobblehead me too me too <laughs> very cool I, I i actually i actually went to that game that was that was a game i sat in the lower bowl for like 25 bucks because peter Lonzo won the home run derby i bought several tickets because of that promotion uh-huh. Very cool. Yeah, I remember, and that game was really cool too because that was against the Pirates, and that was Stephen Matz's first career complete game shutout. So that that was pretty cool. Unfortunately, he's not a man anymore. But I, I remember being really excited about that at the time because I, you know, I always wanted Stephen Matz to, uh, you know, Stephen Matz to stay with the Mets for a long time, being a Long Island kid and all. I remember that. I still remember his place in. I forgot where it was. Someone brought me to it in Long Island that had a sandwich named after Stephen Matz, I remember. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And that makes a lot of sense, too. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, was, so the – yeah. Uh, yeah. It, was a del- it was a deli run by one of his relatives, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. Okay. That's cool. But, uh, yeah, man, so, you know, uh, nice win last night. Uh, they, they, they get off the schneid. They beat Julio Turan, which – I was a little worried about seeing him on the uh, docket that the Mets had to face him because if you are a uh, long-term Mets fan, which I know we both are, we saw Julio Turan dominate the Mets for years with the Atlanta Braves. So it was nice to see uh, you know, him last night come in for the first time. And he'd been on a roll uh, since signing with Milwaukee earlier this season. And uh, to see him pitching – uh, you know, against the Mets, I was a little nervous, but they, the Mets did a, a, a good job against him yesterday. Nimmo uh, took him deep twice, and uh, yeah, the uh, the Mets uh, got a much needed win. Now tonight, it's the it's it's the same thing. You you're back to square one, and just as Brandon Nimmo said, um, you know, in the post game and everything like that last night, that game last night can't be a standalone game. This has to be something that they build on. And, uh, you know, tonight against Milwaukee is the best way to do that. Go out there and take game three of this series and give yourself a chance to win the series tomorrow, right? Exactly. And I had to do this. I had to do the same thing last night. I'm doing tonight. Offering Jabu a glass of whiskey from uh, this glass that has a map of city field on it. <laughs> hey, it, it worked I, last night. Me and you were talking about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 I had, I, I, I it was a, it's a good glass of Jameson. I offered, I offered a on the rocks that I offered Jabu Jameson, and I just, I, I was kind of parodying the, the reason is I wanted to parody a glass Gito uses that has a that I see that compound media once when they offered me whiskey. Is it a glass that looks like Citizens Bank Park that had a map of Citizens Bank Park the area around it? Just, uh-huh. this. I'm gonna get a city field one. I'm gonna get a city field yeah. one. Wow, so I bought. I bought. I I found out we bought it, so, and I bought a city field one because I thought I wonder if they have a city field one like this. So <laughs> well, that's a good idea, man. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, you know. This glass, and um, it worked out at least last year. So that's at a half decent season. Hopefully, this time they bring some magic. So, like, I switched it up from rum to whiskey now. <laughs> yeah, whiskey's probably a good idea. You can't go wrong with, uh, you know, a little uh, Irish whiskey there. And uh, you know, hey, we hope that the Mets have the luck of the Irish on the on the mound tonight, as they have their Japanese starter. Um, Kodai Senga going tonight against Wade Miley. Uh, Miley's been pretty good for Milwaukee this year. Five and two, uh, two nine one ERA. Senga six and five, three and a half ERA for the Mets. Um, 
So yeah, it's uh it's really going to be a a big test for the Mets tonight because Milwaukee has been really hot lately, and um you know even though their offense has really struggled all season, this team pitches really well, and uh, you know they they've been hot. And if you remember the way that they killed the Mets early this season and for a three game sweep in Milwaukee, you know why it means so much the Mets, especially to get back on on the winning side to get back on the right track. The Mets have to win today and they have to win tomorrow, right? Yeah, exactly. Against old, a lot of these teams that were chasing hard, Mets full of games, especially tiebreaker scenario, you want to win record against these teams. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, especially the next two days, the Mets have Kodai Senga and Max Scherzer going. And look, Wade Miley's a, a, a veteran pitcher, a good pitcher, uh, five and two, like I mentioned, ERA under three this year. But the Mets have the ability to hit him, and they should hit him. And Eric Hauser is pitching tomorrow. You know, Eric Hauser is a decent pitcher too, but that's another guy the Mets should hit. And you know, when you when you think about it that way, when you look at the two high-priced guys uh, that you know, Stevie Cohen, we're going to look at uh, him in a minute. He made the investment in these two guys: forty-three million in uh, Max Scherzer and seventy-five million over five years in uh, Kodai Senga. You know, he's going to be expecting some bang for his buck. And, you know, we're uh, in a, a position right now where the season, for all intents and purposes, by a lot of people, looks like it's buried. Doesn't mean it is. You know, every, everybody buried the Phillies last year at this time. But remember what happened to them. They ended up going on a run and getting in the World Series. So it, it's not time to panic. It's not time to lose faith. But if if, if you're the players, it's time to kick your ass in gear and take this series from the Brewers, and let's go. And uh, on on that note, Dan, let's jump into this. Um, we'll uh, take a look real quick at Steve Cohen's press conference. It's 22 minutes long, so we're not going to watch the whole thing. We'll watch the first minute or two just, just to get the flavor of, uh, of what this is, and then we'll discuss it um, because it's uh, very interesting what uh, Stevie Cohen says. So let's see. Steve, just to start off in general, what are your thoughts on where the team is currently? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's been incredibly frustrating. Um, you know, listen, I, I watch every game. I see what's going on. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, if you ask me, you know, would I have expected us to be in this position at the beginning of the season, the answer is no. But here we are. And, you know, hopefully we can right the ship. And, and uh, listen, we have quality players. Uh, for some reason or another, they're not gelling. When we pitch well, we don't hit. When we hit, we don't pitch well. Um, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, it's actually very strange to me. And I don't know if the players are anxious. Um, I don't know if they're pressing. I mean, I assume that that's a little bit of that. We see a lot of mental errors that what I call enforced errors. I, you know, obviously we can clean that up. Um, we've lost games because of it, and you know, there's nobody to blame, and it's really across the whole team. And um, but you know, that's the, you know we played great last night. That was a crisp game, probably one of the best games we've played all year. And so we know it's possible, right? We know we're capable of doing it, and now we got to string it together. And, you know, the problem is, you know, we're really at, you know, close to half the season. And so we don't have as much luxury of time as, as we have before. We still have time. I mean, I read some, something today that said there was one team every year that came from eight and a half back in the last four years to make the wild card. Okay. And so, you know, obviously we came in with higher hopes and, you know, making the last wild card or whatever. But... Um, that's where we are, and, and uh, so the season's not over. Um, I'm preparing my um, management team for all possibilities. Um, you know, if we don't get better, you know, we have decisions to make at the trade deadline, and um, that's not my preferred um, end result. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing all contingencies. And uh, we'll see where it goes. It's on the players, right? I mean, they're veterans. They've been there before. Um, you know, I think they're, you know, these, these are 
you know, players that have done it, and we'll see if they can get their act together and, and string together some wins. Uh, I, you know, I can't pitch and I can't hit, okay? So well, that's the way it goes. And, um, you know, we're, we're hoping for the best. Steve, what's your current confidence level in that management group, be it, you know, uh, Buck Showalter, the field manager, or, or Billy Epler? Right, listen, I mean, you know, I, I'm a patient guy, okay? Now, everybody wants, an, you know, a headline. Everybody says, fire this person, fire that person. But I, I don't see that as a way to operate. Um, if you want to attract good people to this organization, the worst thing you can do is be impulsive, okay? And, and win the headline for the day and not, you know, overall, over time, attract, you know, you're not gonna attract the best talent because you're not gonna wanna work for somebody who, who, who has a short fuse. And I, I, listen, I know fans that, you know, they want something to happen, I get it. But sometimes you can't do it, you know, because you have long-term objectives. And that's the way it is. Um, you know, listen, I, I've been clear from day one that I'm still looking for president of baseball ops. Billy knows. I've had that conversation with him. He's supportive. You know, my view is this is a very complex job, and there's a lot to do, and it's a lot on one person. And so, I mean, obviously we have people under Billy, but uh, from, a, from a leadership standpoint. And, and so, um, you know, that's still out there. Um, you know, we'll see. At, at some point we will fill, it, fill that position. And, and All right, I think that uh, we got the idea. Um, you know, you're just seeing that Steve Cohen press conference for the first time. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on what he had to say? What I really think Steve Cohen had to say is that he, the next couple of games are going to dictate what kind of moves they're going to make, whether it's uh, make a, the, maybe bars and trade deadline, stay put, or or go, uh, go in a rebuild. It's going to be one of those three scenarios. But do you think do you think he'd actually have the guts to to go in a sell mode? Because if the Mets like started selling off players like they did in the old uh, Wilpon days, man, I mean, it, they they might be able to recoup some decent players, but they are going to get killed by the fans and the press. I'd say it's a it's fifty fifty possibility they'll stay put or rebuild. Mm-hmm. And it might be more of a trophy though. Like they'll probably trade, they'll, they'll probably trade Robinson and Adovino. Probably, that's why it's such a who they would be like to trade. Yeah, I could see like pieces like that. I could see maybe even a Marte being moved because you 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 know the core guys like a Lindor and Alonzo and Nimmo, you know Francisco Alvarez, guys like that. They're not going anywhere. But, you know, maybe an Omar Narvaez gets traded under those circumstances. Obviously, Eduardo Escobar already did. Um, so, yeah, I, I could see maybe even Mark Canha. Like, a, a lot of the veteran guys, you know? Yeah, that, that, that's, what I, that's who I see more likely they would move if it, if it came down to that. If things, if things pummeled really bad after July. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, let's just hope that it doesn't get to that because that would be absolutely terrible. Um, you know, let, I just want to ask your uh, thoughts on his decision to not um, blow things up from a management perspective. I mean, obviously, we've we just discussed the player part of it, but as for the manager and the general manager, uh, Billy Epler and Buck Showalter, I think we would both agree that neither of them have performed well so far this year. I think Billy Epler really left the Mets shorthanded on the bench and in the bullpen. And I think Buck Showalter has had a lot of bizarre decisions uh, in regards to his bullpen management. And uh, every once in a while, the lineup decisions bother me too. But really, the bullpen management has has really been bad lately to me. But I can't kill him that much for that because the bullpen's so bad. So... You know, you you don't want Robertson and Adovino's arms to fall off. 
Um, what do you think about that, Dan? I think that it, it, I think it's going to go play out to the end of the season. Then he'll make a decision at the end of the season for the Bucks. As for Epler, I'm starting to call a conspiracy of Billy Epler that Steve Cohen is keeping Billy Epler warm enough to try to attract Shohei Otani in the offseason. Could be, could be, because they have that pre-existing relationship. You're definitely right about that. But, you know, I, I did want to ask, if you were in Steve Cohen's shoes, do you do you think he's making the right call? And, and would you do the same thing and let the season play out and see what Buck and, and Billy Epler can do over these next couple of months? Or if you were in Steve Cohen's shoes, would you be more like George Steinbrenner and be firing people and trading people? Well, well, I know I, I might probably end up firing Billy Epler because I feel he hasn't, he doesn't quite get it, especially at last year. He made no moves at the trading deadline that were really important. Yep. Yep. He, uh, he failed big time at the trading deadline. I totally agree. Last year, his his deadline deals were getting Vogelback and Darren Ruff. And I know Vogelback has signed has shown a, some signs of life over the last week or two, but I look, I I have no faith in Daniel Vogelback at all. If you're telling me that that the Mets are down by one and Daniel Vogelback is up with two outs and the base is loaded, I have zero faith that guy is going to get it done in a big spot. Uh, that being said, you know. Uh, I, I guess that he's he's not the biggest problem on the team, especially since he's been hitting. But I mean, even like Steve Cohen mentioned, it seems like whenever they pitch good, they can't hit. Whenever they hit good, they can't pitch. It's just one of those seasons so far, and those are the makings of a 500 ball club, which the Mets aren't even right now. The Mets are you know seven games under 500, and they they've really done a good job of burying themselves so far. You know. Exactly, and I I really don't feel that most of the season I feel like it's been on the pitching. I feel like, yeah, I know we've had some games that we've lost, some low scoring games, but I just feel like the pitching is the core of every good team that's won, and especially a bullpen. I got nervous that that game on the Sunday against Philly. I'm at home watching that that game. I was still like a little zap. If I wasn't under the weather, I might have I might have been disappointed in person because knowing myself, I probably would have hopped under the Mizuki trade and went to that game because it was a But the, the reality, I was at home, I'm watching the game, so still a little under the weather. I may have I was afraid I was going to get myself sick again when I was yelling at maybe every curse in the book. It was one of those scenarios, pretty much. A, I don't remember exactly how it was, but imagine me yelling out like when they blew that game. Shit, dicks! Oh, God! That's what it sounded like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't blame you, man, because that was probably the low point of the year for the Mets. Uh, it was definitely one of, if not the worst losses of the season, considering that they were up by three runs. But see, that's the, the problem. When you have a $375 million payroll, and you have to rely on Grant Hartwig, Dominic Leone, Josh Walker, and, you know, Drew Smith, who hasn't pitched in 10 days. And, uh, you know, all these guys that, uh, you know, aside from Drew Smith, who pitched actually pitched in the following game, he didn't even pitch on Sunday. But, you know, you're running these guys out to protect a three-run lead. What is Showalter doing? Adovino said he was available, you know? Um, sure, uh, you know, uh, David Robertson had thrown an inning in two-thirds the day before, but he only threw 15 pitches. He was available, or at least he said he was. So both those guys were available. Showalter just decided not to go to them uh, in a very Zach Britton reminiscent way, and it ended, it ended up costing them big time. So, you know, I, uh, I'll, I'll say this, though. Um, I do... I don't want Buck fired. I think Buck is a good manager, and I think Buck could end up being, you know, one of the the glue pieces that hold this team together. But man, the way he manages his bullpen sometimes drives me crazy. 
And it's crazy because up until last year, last September, actually, I noticed it. But from March, really, through August of last year, I didn't have any complaints with how Buck Showalter ran his, his bullpen. It was almost like he did it perfectly. But it seems like ever since that that September where things just started getting weird, I don't know. He's lost his touch with the bullpen or or maybe the bullpen's lost its touch. I don't know. Whatever the deal is, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the, the Buck has also dealt with a massive challenge. He has no closer, so he had to use a, the two guys that may have been seventh, eighth inning. It's like you got to hold on to these guys and you worry about their arms falling off if they're not normally closing the game. We're a team without a closer, let's face it. Yeah. And it's cost us. Yeah, it definitely has. You're right. You're right. And, and, uh, I, I, that... and I was like, so I was like so upset that I said a little advice to baseball teams. Be careful when celebrating, especially after a, a big win. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Don't do anything stupid that can hurt yourself and damage your team's, uh, you know, uh, you know, ability to compete. Because no doubt about it, this bullpen will be looking a lot better if Edwin Diaz was in it. But I also don't want to give the Mets the out of saying, "Oh, well, Edwin Diaz is out, so the, obviously the bullpen's not going to have pitched well." I don't give them that out at all. It's it's a contributing factor, but. Billy Epler also left way too many holes open in this bullpen. You know, Seth Lugo left. They they, they didn't really get an adequate replacement for him. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trevor Williams, unfortunately, too. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we were in a circumstance with Seth Lugo because I don't think we would have been able to re-sign him anyway. Because Well, no, I, I'm not even saying that they should have re-signed him. I'm just saying that you have to get an adequate replacement for him, which I don't think the Mets did. Yeah, exactly. Fortunately, Seth was hard set on being a starter, and the Mets didn't see him as a starter. They were looking for bullpen help, and that one was like default. But we didn't do enough to replace him. Billy Epler really failed in the relief pitching department this offseason. Yeah, it's true, man. He definitely left a lot to be desired, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, with that, man, I guess let's uh, let's keep rolling along right now. We still got a bunch of other things to get into, and and real quick, since I mean, right now, to be honest, the the, the Yankees are in a playoff spot. The Yankees are, uh, you know, they're still doing their thing. They're 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 chugging along. I mean, uh, no judge right now. They continue to play, you know, mediocre. They lost last night in Oakland, but hey, you know, they still got their heads above water. They're still they're doing what the Mets aren't. You know, and didn't with when Alonso was down, is compete when their big bat got hurt. And even though Giancarlo Stanton hasn't necessarily come back into form, and the Yankees, you know, aren't knocking anybody's socks off right now, they're still playing decent ball. And you figure that they're still going to be in a playoff spot by the time Judge comes back. You know. Yeah, that that one of course is a big question mark, being the fact. You heard, we heard the new developments on uh, Aaron Judge's injury. I just have a feeling the Yankees aren't going to get or have a walk in the park getting into the playoffs. It's going to go, it could go down to the very last week of the season with the Yankees, surprisingly. <laughs> I, I love your negative Yankee takes. <laughs> well, well, it's not really that. It's just what it looks, what this team looks like the last couple of games. They just look human. They don't look like this. They don't look like these imposing Yankee teams that a lot of baseball fans remember in the '90s when they seemed like every year they kept thinking, "Oh, that they were just people were just handing them the World Series." This just doesn't look like that imposing of a Yankee team this year. Oh, I agree with you on that, man. No doubt about it. I mean, this is a far cry from those uh, brilliant Yankee teams of the late 90s and the early 2000s. Um, but, you know, they still have enough. I think this team is still going to hang in there. They they might not be as good as, uh, you know, Tampa Bay. And actually, at this point, they might not even be in, uh, as, as good as Baltimore, as uh, Baltimore has just played fantastic baseball so far this year. But I think the Yankees are still a playoff team. 
And, you know, once Judge comes back and fortifies that lineup, and th they could always lean on, uh, on Garrett Cole. And one other difference maker that a lot of people are forgetting because he's flying under the radar. Uh, also, re remember that uh, Nestor Cortez is also injured right now. Um, D Domingo Herman is up and down, and they still haven't even gotten one pitch this season out of Carlos Radon, their big $160 million signing this offseason. So, you know, I think if they do get something out of Radon this year, and, uh, you know, this Yankees team, this could be one of those years where the Yankees don't have – because it seems to me the Yankees always have a great regular season. You know what I mean? And then they crap out in the playoffs. This seems to me like this could be one of those years where the Yankees don't have a great regular season but still manage to find a way to make it in the playoffs. And then maybe this is going to be the year where the Yankees go on a uh, postseason run. I mean, I know that's not necessarily exactly what a couple of Met fans like me and you would want to see, but I, I, I had that weird feeling that the Yankees are kind of just hanging back right now and saving their best ball for the end of the year. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I have to say, it looks like a tight race for the American League. There's teams I didn't even expect would contend this year. I did not foresee Seattle looking like it was going to contend. I did not foresee Baltimore contending. Tampa, I kind of seemed like they kind of had a way. They kind of looked like they were going to contend. But I, some of these teams, like I did, and Toronto, I felt like they were going to contend. But yeah, I mean, some of these teams, even like, like I did not see Anaheim contending. And even Texas, too. Texas is having a great year. Yeah, that's the only one that surprises me. Yeah, and even, I, when, they, I, I, even I, when they signed DeGrom, I didn't really think anything of the Rangers. And then even without DeGrom, they're still playing great. Yes, I got to give credit to the management. They somehow, I don't know, I guess maybe all those years of thinking of the fledged that I'm getting some decent players. So I could say, all those years of thinking. Yeah. And, but Anaheim is a big surprise. I could that one I feel is the biggest, the biggest surprise I've seen so far this season. And yeah, I, I, at first I thought Anaheim was just, oh, it's going to be a tank, another tanking year for Anaheim. They're just going to end up 50-50 trading Otani. Looks like Otani's going to play out the year and the chat, whatever he does, potentially if they get to the playoffs, he, he could cash in an even bigger payday for the playoffs alone. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, that might not be the best thing for the Angels long-term because, you know, long-term, they probably – because I, I don't think Otani is going to stay with the Angels no matter what. I, I don't think he's going to do that. So I think Otani's going to leave. But, you know, so it might be better for the Angels if they were kind of crappy right now and they could trade him for a whole bunch of stuff because – Man, uh, you know, we've seen some mega, mega deals go down at the trade deadline in the past. You know, the, the one for Max Scherzer where the uh, um, Dodgers gave up a whole bunch of those prospects, including – and got back Trey uh, Turner and Scherzer. So that was a big-time deal, the uh, Juan Soto deal. So many of those mid-deals you know, mid deals, uh, or uh, mid-season deals are the ones that yield those big-time prospects. And um, you know that that would uh, that seems to be right up their alley. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does seem to be that. But it's worked out that I, that Anaheim could, they're they're in contention, and I think they're just going to try to milk whatever they can out of having a Joey Otani the rest of this year. And he's they can walk out probably collect a big paycheck, a big paycheck with Steve Cohen's signature. In, in, in forcing that paycheck, and like I said, me and Robert, we will volunteer to pick him up at Kennedy Airport. We <laughs> You got that right. Shelly, just reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. We'd be happy to pick you up and and show you around New York. We'll, you know, maybe we'll take you over to Donovan's for a burger and a beer too. And. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, oh, yeah, so definitely, definitely. 
Jimmy Jacobson would be happy to give to 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 well, to, 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 serve, to, serve, to serve Shohei. <laughs> oh man, that's great. And uh, you know, so let's uh, let's keep going on here. As I uh, I did want to um, touch on a couple of uh, uh, of football things real quick. As the Giants yesterday announced that uh, their their training camp is going to be starting on uh, July 26th, the Jets announced today their training camp is going to be starting the week before that because the uh, Jets have to play in the Hall of Fame game. So the Jets, you know, they, their their preseason starts a week earlier than everybody else because their first game is about a week earlier than everybody else. So, uh, you know, and they also play the extra preseason game, being that they're in the Hall of Fame game. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things going on with that. And a lot of other things going on right now, too, is that, Dan, have you heard right now that the the, the NFL still has not announced a uh, team that's going to be on Hard Knocks this year uh, for HBO? And, um, you know, if I, I don't know if you even remember this, Dan, because I didn't until somebody pointed it out, but the Detroit Lions were announced on uh, March 26th last year. So nearly three months uh, later than that this year, and there's still no word on what team is going to be the official Hard Knocks team. There's a couple of teams that are eligible because the the, the NFL and, and HBO agreed onto a whole bunch of rules where you know there's a certain criteria you have to meet to be on Hard Knocks, where you can't have a new coach. You know there has to be a certain amount of things like that. So. The, the Jets are one of the four teams left that can be forced. I think it's the Jets, the Bears, uh, I want to say the uh, oh the Saints, and one other team I don't remember. Um, those four teams can be forced. But obviously, I think we all know that of any of those teams, the most interesting of those teams is the Jets, right? Yeah, I feel like it is. I don't know exactly how the criteria is. I remember hearing... Many times, the Giants refused to do hard knocks. They were all, they were all to do hard knocks. HBO would love to have the Giants do hard knocks, but that's never going to happen. At the same time, the Jets being asked to do to do to take part in this reality show, I heard a lot of NFL teams don't quite like being part of it. I heard. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people enjoy it. Uh, you know, if you remember, this is the second time the Jets have been on Hard Knocks. The last time they were there was the 2010 Jets, and that, that was the the best Jets team of the last 20 years, um, you know, at least dating back to 98 when they uh, went to the conference championship game. But, um, you know, the, uh, the this team, uh, the, that 2010 Rex Ryan Jets team went 11-5, went all the way to the uh, AFC title game, and that's the last time and the only other time the Jets have ever been on hard knocks. And they wanted it that year. Rex Ryan requested that they wanted to be the hard knocks team, which is typical Rex Ryan. Uh, this year, not the same situation. Robert um, Sala and this Jets front office, they don't want any part of hard knocks. But unfortunately, it looks like they're not really going to have a say in the matter. It's going to be forced on them, which I fully expect the NFL to do because – I mean, let's be honest. Who's who's gonna give you more ratings at this point right now? Is it gonna be the Chicago Bears, where nobody really knows anybody on the team? Is it gonna be the Saints and Derek Carr, or is it gonna be the Jets and that young team now joined by Aaron Rodgers? I I think it's pretty obvious. the The New York factor in that helps. The Aaron Rodgers factor in that helps. So uh, it it seems to me like like Dan, if you had to take a guess right now, it seems like a slam dunk. It's the Jets, right? <laughs> Yeah, I just feel like those guys on the HBO and the suits, I imagine, they've, they've already made up their minds. They feel like the Jets will get the most viewers. Plus, I feel like they love a team that has a large following. So, yeah, it's probably going to be, they're going to be forced to do it whether they want to or not. And from what I heard, as I said, from what I've heard, I've seen articles, a lot of players on the NHL team don't like doing the knocks, I heard. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, I, I wouldn't feel like it's a big distraction. I agree. It, yeah, it definitely is a distraction, man, because that's one reason why I wouldn't want 
to be, you know, on on hard knocks right now. You know, I've heard a lot of people say um, the, the opposite. Hey, you know, the last time the Jets did it, they they were a good team. It didn't didn't hurt them. The difference, I think, is that they had a team that embraced that back then. You know, they had Rex Ryan, obviously, who loved that kind of crap. You had a, a outside of Mark Sanchez too. The Jets had a very veteran team back then. I mean, you had the likes of the Brickishaw Ferguson, Nick Mangold, Bart Scott, uh, Alan Fanica, Ladanian Tomlinson, Jericho Cotchery, you know, Braylon Edwards, um, Plaxico Burris for that second team. You know, there, there were so many guys on that team that were veterans that this kind of thing isn't going to really bother them because they know they, they're proven NFL players. You know, my thinking was that this is such a young team you know, guys like like Sauce Gardner, guys like um, you know uh, Brace Hall, and uh, you know um, just Garrett Wilson, and uh, even Zach Wilson, who's not really going to be counted on as a starter, but the kid's only 22, 23 years old. You know, um, even this new kid, Will McDonald, they picked up. You know that there's going to be a camera in their face now from HBO the second that they're in training camp. And that might not necessarily be a bad thing, but I also don't want them to get a big head over it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think we, I I feel like the players just want to not have the cameras on them, just focus on the the objective of getting to the road to hopefully that ends in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right, man. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing just to cap that off with is that all of the teams that have done hard knocks, no team has ever won the Super Bowl. And the team that got the furthest in the playoffs was those 2010 Jets getting to the AFC Championship game where they unfortunately lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers that year. So uh, a little and couple of interesting things there, right? Yeah. I also have to say at the, at the same time that the Jets don't win, in the Super Bowl, and they had to do hard knocks this year. You know that whole conspiracy we all say about the the Madden NFL cover, the Sports Illustrated cover jinx? I'm yep. going to say that hard knocks is a jinx also. That's That's a good point. And Jet fans everywhere are hoping that's not the case. So so you, you're definitely right about that, man. Yeah, yeah. So, and, uh, so far you... So far you, you Jet fans have already dodged one bullet. You've already dodged the Madden bullet because I, um, I don't. I forgot. Have they announced who's on the cover of this year's Madden yet? They they did. I forget who it was. Uh, but I know. I, I know none of your guys are on the cover. They've got no Giants are on the cover, so I don't have to worry about that cover jinx. Now, now you just got to worry about the hard knocks. Well, we don't know if it's the jinx or not. And uh, Sports Illustrated Jinx. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot. It, it's actually, and I I just looked that up. The cover person for uh, Madden 24 this year is Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills quarterback. So if you're a Jets fan, you kind of got to hope maybe that Madden curse plays it up a little bit this year, right? Yep. And I can hear a bunch of people in, Buff in Buffalo in their or still in their little silly accent in Western New York. That's, I don't know, it's like an almost Canadian accent. They're extremely upset that a Buffalo Bill was on the cover of Madden NFL. Because they don't, I'm sure every football fans around the world know with the, the, the history of the Madden NFL. <laughs> no doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, real quick, because uh, let's see, I want to keep us moving along here. Um, so when we're talking about football and the Jets and everything. Did, did you see uh, this little controversy that popped up yesterday um, with Darrell Revis and Joe Klecko? Did, did, did you hear anything about this yesterday, Dan? Because I because I was busy because of that commitment I couldn't get out of, the cell reception was like bad. Like my, some things on my phone were working, like some social medias, but some things like the internet browsers and stuff, I couldn't really read an article about what this was. I saw like a thing on the on the S and Y Twitter page, so I couldn't really get a get a clean sense of what this was. 
even though I'm a Giants fan, I was like, what the heck is going on here with this? Yeah, it was really, really strange, man. I'll I'll break it down for you uh, real quick here um, because I I unfortunately wanted to get the video, but I, I didn't have enough time to get the video together. Uh, so, but I do have a couple of clips of the tweets that Darrell Revis sent out afterwards that we'll pull up in a sec. But so what happened was yesterday, uh, there's a guy that I've mentioned on the show a couple of times, Jake Asman, good guy. He does uh, 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 ESPN radio for Houston, but he's a big time Jets fan. He's from Long Island um, and uh, he, he does a YouTube show where he covers the Jets and he frequently has get, uh, you know, Jets guests on. He's had Joe Namath. He's had, uh, you know, all the big names that you can imagine from the, the, the Jets over the years, you know, and, and Jets writers. He's had Bob Wischusen, Rich Samini, uh, all these guys that if, if, if you're a Jet fan, you know these names, you know. Uh, and earlier this week, he had Joe Klecko because Klecko and Revis are going to the Hall of Fame together this year. So Joe Klecko, former Jet, if you don't know, he's a Jet uh, with the uh, New York Sack Exchange defense from the late 70s and the early 80s with, with, with Mark Gastineau and that whole crew down there. And, um, you know, Klecko for years has been said that he was that he should have been in the Hall of Fame, and Jet fans have said that he should have been in the Hall of Fame. Um, that This guy was a, an all-pro at three different positions on the defensive line, so you got to give him credit there. And um, he's the only player in the history of the NFL to ever do that, so – throw your roses at Mr. Joe Klecko because he is uh, the man. And and so he made a comment about how Darrell Revis, uh, he met him at the Super Bowl, and he said that uh, he said in passing that Revis was a little bit quiet. But what he was alluding to in this comment was that Revis was a little bit quiet, but Revis also made the comment about how he and Joe Klecko were the two greatest um, defensive players in the in, in Jets history, and Klecko agreed with that, and was talking about how you know that meant a lot to him that that Revis said that. Now somehow, Darrell Revis heard that that comment that Klecko made, and took it the complete wrong way. He took it like Joe Klecko was taking a shot at him, and I don't really understand here. I'll I'll bring up this tweet right now because it, it was just so bizarre how um revis was so upset about this and uh let's see we'll pull this one up first <clears throat> yeah this one says um i don't speak to people i don't know very well and we did not speak based on you saying you were jealous of my success at the super bowl this is him talking to joe klecko my mindset is clearly that i'm the top player at the list and the best ever as a jet he's saying but as a gentleman i decided to say something cool for a headline now it doesn't even make sense what he's talking about i don't understand do you reading this right now dan does any of that what he's saying make any sense to you at all i just am scratching my head seeing this it's like it's one of those like chip chippers. I'm like, that don't make no sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how Joe Klecko was talking about how it was an honor to be included with Darrell Revis, and Darrell Revis is sitting here taking it like it was a big shot at him. It just seemed seemed very, very weird to me. And then when, when Jet fans were reacting to it on Twitter and, you know, accurately saying, hey, Darrell, you know, is is everything okay what the heck is going on what are you talking about then he went out and um let me see i'm trying to bring this other one up right now he he went out and um sent out another tweet uh where is that <clears throat> so yeah there we go okay oh, whoops <laughs> there we go dan sorry about that and now I just got to pull this last one up. Here we go. All right. And there we go. Now, then somebody on Twitter was saying to him, you know, maybe you should walk that back because <laughs> he didn't know what he was talking about. And his response to that was, I ain't walking shit back. I said what I said. It's true what I said, but also true that I'm the best defensive player 
in Jets history, period. I don't even know why this is a conversation. Boy, I who would have who would have ever seen this coming? I mean, luckily on that same show, the Jake Asman show, you should check it out if you're a Jets fan. And even if you're not, if you're an NFL fan, Jake is a great host, does a great job. But uh, he he kind of you know um, put out these fires a little bit after today and walked it back a little bit, which he said he wasn't going to do. But I mean, Dan, what do you make of this? Why would Darrell Revis care so much that between Joe Clicko and 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 himself that they're the best player in Jet history? That's like splitting hairs. Who cares? I don't understand. It's like you freaking making something out of nothing. It's the it's a pointless feud. The best way to describe it. It's a pointless feud. Yeah. I, I'm just laughing at it. He actually said this. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it seems like something that an elementary school kid would get upset about, right? Yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen anything like that in years. <laughs> I mean, it's just typical Jets, and it's been funny watching all the Jet fans react to it because all of them, uh, all the Jet fans have been saying, you know, all this great stuff is going on with the Jets. We got, you know, Rodgers, a nice young team everybody's excited about. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of good feelings going on with the Jets right now. Two of our own guys, Klecko and Revis, are going in the Hall of Fame together. The Jets are in the Hall of Fame game, so it's going to be like a party over in Canton with all the Jet fans. And then a month before it's going to happen, Klecko and Revis get into an, uh, an argument, essentially, on a Jets podcast. I mean, you you can't make this stuff up. It's almost like something out of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Curb Your Enthusiasm, I would just love to see what Larry David has to say about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure as a Jets fan, he's real thrilled. <laughs> yeah. I, I just know if there, if there was a video of an interview with Larry David, I swear, you could take whatever he was, whatever he'd be saying in an in an interview about this. You could literally take that Curb Your Enthusiasm music in the background, and it could easily <laughs> feel like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Whatever he'll say. I, yes. I heard I I heard stories from someone in LA that once encountered it was like at a restaurant and saw Larry David has some kind of problem or something with the waiter or some issue with his food, and he said. It felt like he was watching an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm in real life. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, true, man. The, 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 the person, person told me, he said, oh, my God, Larry's like this in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, typical typical Jets. Jets can't, uh, Jet fans can't have anything nice. So uh, all this, uh, the, this little controversy. So hopefully – it's it's in the rearview mirror, but for a good twenty four, you know, forty eight hours, it was really weird how this uh, this cropped up. So uh, props to Jake Asman, though, my boy Jake. Uh, go uh, join his uh, his podcast. Uh, you know, subscribe to his his YouTube channel if you get a chance. The Jake Asman Show and his uh, Patreon. The guy has a lot of uh, great content and also does a great show on Houston radio. If uh, you know you want to hear about the Astros and the Texans all day. Uh, you know, well, I, I, I'm a much bigger fan of his, uh, his, his podcast, but him and those other guys on his show called the wheelhouse, which is on ESPN radio do a really great job. So, uh, you know, if you feel like hearing good, uh, 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 sports talk, check those guys out. No doubt about it. Yep. I'm, I'm guessing you have to go on the ESPN, the website of the, of the Houston, the, the station in Houston he's on to get to hear that. Like, yeah. Especially yeah, you can check them out. Exactly, yeah, on, exactly. On the, on the website of that radio station, Houston. Yeah, yeah, and, and if you're in Houston, you're probably you probably have to listen to it in your car if you're in Houston. <laughs> exactly, and uh, dr and drive time radio three to seven, just like uh, Michael K. Um, all right, so uh, let's uh, let's let's wrap up here. We're we're just about to the end here, real quick. 
before we get out of here tonight, Dan, a lot of stuff going on in the NHLs. We got the draft going on tonight. The Rangers select number 23. Uh, you know, what do you think, Dan? Off the bat, there's a lot of holes for the Rangers to fill. Um, there's a lot of different options that Chris Drury can do now. Obviously, new coach Peter Laviolette's going to be in on a lot of these decisions. Um, what do you think, Dan? Do the Rangers actually pick a, a player in the draft tonight and kind of help regrow their prospect pool? Or do you think they're going to lean towards uh, trading that pick and making a splash for this uh, main roster? I feel like this pick might be more something in the lines of, of a prospect that we won't really know how this pick turns out until a couple of years down the line. But, but so, you, so you expect them to make that pick tonight and not trade it, right? Yeah, that's what I'm expecting. Usually when you see they're drafting high in the draft, you really you kind of know that that player's going to probably have some kind of an impact. But when it's that low, 23, you're looking more a couple of years down the line. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But also, too, let, let's not forget um, 23. I mean, they got in that range. From 19 to 28, I mean, obviously, it's a little bit higher and a little bit lower than where the Rangers are right now. But over the last couple of drafts in that 19 to 28 range, the Rangers have gotten Braden Schneider, Philip Heedle, and um, uh, Keandre Miller. So uh, definitely something to keep in mind. And uh, let's just hope that the Rangers can turn number 23 tonight into something. And uh, hopefully it's as good as our number 23, Adam Fox, who's a... Uh, a finalist for um, the uh, the trophy, uh, the uh, Norris Trophy for the best defenseman in the NHL. Once again, uh, his uh, third straight selection, uh, or his his third straight season as a finalist for that trophy, and he's already taken it home one time. So uh, really, really cool, cool things happening around the NHL. Um, also, one last thing before we get out of here, Dan, did you see that the uh, the NHL schedule? was released yesterday and the Rangers and Islanders are both opening in Buffalo. And uh, then on, um, I think it's October 16th, the Rangers play their first home game. So uh, just a, a couple of dates to circle on your schedule, right? Yep, exactly. The more notable one, of course, is in February stadium series. I'm hoping I could get a hold of two, not just one, but two tickets because I really would love for you to join me for that for that game. That, that game would be Rangers Isles at, in the Meadowlands. That would be a blast, man. No doubt about it. And I can tell you a little advice, especially depending how cold it is, since jeans would not be able to handle all the layers. You're gonna want to use sweatpants. That, True. But I did that the Winter Classic. It was it was this. Second coldest winter classic in the history of the winter classic. I I knew that I would have to use multiple players, not just their thermals, but multiple layers of sweatpants, and I knew jeans couldn't handle those multiple layers of my pants. So I was actually wearing multiple layers of sweatpants. I I I was wearing several layers underneath my jacket. I felt it may have looked like I was maybe I don't know maybe. <laughs> I was I had the body of Eric Cartman from South Park when I was at that game. Like, yeah, all that extra padding. Yeah, yeah, all that 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 all those layers I had to wear to stay warm that entire game, which it did work. Even the multiple layers of the socks worked, but what did happen is I'm walking down the steps of sixty first street Woodside on after after the game. Not on my way home, right? By the time I got up, got, got up to seven train, walking down the, those huge steps, and for those who don't know, 51st Woodside is one of the highest stair climbs on the New York City subway system of the trains that are above ground. A lot of steps are walking down. So I'm walking down the steps. My feet started to kind of feel like, you know, like you kind of couldn't kind of feel it. Like my feet, I guess the best way to describe, my feet felt like Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining. Even with... <laughs> boots and multiple layers by the time oh. 
I was got got out of the bus, got out of the train station, and walking towards the bus to get back home. <laughs> oh my god! And uh, hey, you know what? I think uh, with that, Dan, I think that we're just gonna wrap it up on that. Um, you know, be before we get out of here, uh, do you have anything you like to plug for yourself? Sure, sure. My uh, my my Twitter account, Bobo one zero three N one. I see you see there right below below my name on the on the graphics there. Also Instagram Bobo seven one eight DK and Daniel Crone on YouTube for all your uh, all your all your Bobo YouTube comments. Absolutely, make sure to check Dan out there. Always great content. And uh, do us a favor and check us out on our uh, our uh, Instagram page at Best Eat in the House Podcast. You can check us out on Twitter at B Sith underscore Podcast. You can also check out me there at my last name, Kramer, NY. You can also subscribe and like to our content on YouTube, Best Eat in the House podcast over there, and also on Rumble. If you're on Rumble, we'd really appreciate a couple of subscribers. Uh, it seems like uh, our listeners are few and far between on Rumble. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're going to keep putting them up there. So even if you're not going to subscribe, just know they're always going to be up there because just in case there anything there is ever any copyright issues with YouTube, at least we have the backup on Rumble. So, you know, once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to the best seat in the house with the, you know, for an, 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 another great episode. Um, as always, I'm your host, Rob Kramer, joined by my co-host, Daniel Bobo Kerland. And this is the best seat in the house podcast. We'll catch you next week, everybody. <laughs>